0: you know we were like well we don't believe in anything so we're gonna this is the music of nothing hi this is lol tolhurst
1: co-founder of the cure this is budgie co-founder of the creatures drummer with the slits and susie and the banshees welcome to curious creatures
0: life after punk you may think you know the territory
1: but we, we drew the map. We're, on, we're talking origins. So I grew up in St. Helens. It's halfway between Liverpool and Manchester in the northwest of England. No bands came from outside of my town to play my town. I spoke to a kindred spirit last night. Yeah. When he thinks back to his little town in, mm. in England... It he he was basically that he had to escape. there was nothing happening right. I likened it to when the fair or the circus came to town. I yeah. wanted I wanted I was inspired. that's where I wanted to go. <laughs> I, um, and it would have been maybe eight nine10 somewhere around there where I I'm getting to the fairground. We're probably going on our own few friends. There's candy floss, toffee apples, the smells. And then the sounds, it's the sounds of these guys, these like guys with earrings, I mean, you know, the risque in, back in that, that time with leathers on. They had longish hair, it was greased back. They were, they, they were kind of what we called rockers and they were slamming the sides of these fairground rides, these carriages with screaming girls in them. And they're saying, the louder you scream, the faster we go. And, and as it went dark and the lights took over, this was it the dream of that, the noise and the intense atmosphere of it all.
0: Yeah, so I, I grew up in a, a basically what's a, a suburb of London, South London and it's a commuter town so basically everybody uh, lives there, sleeps there and then gets up in the morning and gets on the train to go to work in London. so the town in the middle of the day is completely empty. There's nobody around and it's, it's a very sort of desolate place, but it's, it's basically suburbs of, of endless boring nothingness. And there's very little interest there. So every year when I was a kid, you know, my whole world was, was bordered by about three items, school, church, and, and the Cub Scouts. And, you know there wasn't anything outside of that so every year the fair would come to town and i would go and watch and it, for me it was always the guys on the bumper cars on the dodgems because they would be riding around and they would always be these sort of uh old teddy boys these old uh rockabilly guys with greased back hair and they'd be leaping from from car to car and i thought well They're very cool, but they were also a little terrifying as well because you you knew they had some kind of bicycle chain in their back pocket that they could whip out at a moment's notice and decapitate you, you know. And also, all the girls that I would see during the year pass me by on the other side of the street and give me nary a look. were sort of entranced by these these rogues and ruffians, you know. And uh, it was very much like a Stephen King novel, really. So I think that was my first sort of foray into the fact that, like, there was something brighter and bigger and a bit more exciting. I mean, you know, on reflection, the uh, the Carney's life is not that exciting or or great. But you know, we, what do you know? What do you we, know at uh, twelve years old? You don't. <laughs> we didn't know. No, that was probably what happened. You know, with the idea of music as well, because from there on. And like uh, like Budgie, my town didn't really have any bands come and visit. I think Pink Floyd came to play at the bowling alley, and that was probably about the biggest gig that had ever happened in Crawley. Still. Still, right. And, (laughs) you know, it became uh, obvious that we had to go a little further afield. So as soon as one of us got a, a driving license, we were like, that was our liberation, let's get a car Let's drive up to London, which was really, you know, like 20 miles away. But that might as well have been the moon to us, you know, at, at 15, 16. And uh, that's where we started to see bands. We started to go to these little clubs. And all the stuff I've been listening to on records, which was a mystery to me, I could see it firsthand there, close up. I was always at the front of the stage or underneath the stage a lot of the time, looking, analysing every. I was one of those guys, you know, sitting there that, you know, many years later when you're playing yourself, you you feel a little sort of self-conscious because you see there's, there's always somebody looking at exactly what you're doing and trying to figure it out. Or that was me. I was there trying to figure out what you're doing. So for me, it was more like that was my, my true education, you know. Uh, our life seemed pretty prescribed before we even got to being adults you know there was very little in the way of infrastructure or excess of anything left after the second world war in england the 50s in england were were uh, very grim and the 60s weren't much better the 60s had that little bit of you know flower power and things hmm. but come the 70s the 70s was a lot of uh, Almost like depression era, you know. There was a lot of strikes. There was a lot of political upheaval. So for us, as as teenagers, it didn't seem like there was a tremendous amount we could do to get to 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 escape. I don't know that I was completely aware as a small boy of how grim the reality was but there there wasn't much joy
1: going around and- <laughs> <laughs> the only clue I had to what was going on out in a bigger world to do with yeah you know, escaping was the partridge family <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I was really jealous of the partridge family they had a great bus. I thought we should get a bus like that. we need a bus right and uh, but they you know it was kind of a bit too convenient. they're all in the same family. But you know my my thing around about nineteen seventy two I think the the bottom dropped out of our world, and my mum passed away suddenly, and I think then it was like the, the the hold was off, you know there was the bar was gone, there was no restriction in a way. I didn't become a wild kid, mm. but with the if you like, the blessing of my dad. I joined up with this some of the guys knocked on my door and said, "You can play drums." I ended up you know playing that what what the circuit that existed was the cabaret circuit right it was the working men's clubs, the labor club, the conservative club and I was learning the things about stage learning about how bad dressing rooms can be uh, mm-hmm. learning about what it's like to stay out late And, um, mm-hmm. Also, earning a bit of money, incredibly. Right. Right. So, I had enough money then to start maybe piecing together a kit, buying a sound system, like a hi fi system. And, um, you know, looking really bleary eyed on Monday morning when I turned in for school. (laughs) But it was like a secret life, you know. Yeah. The the secret life was happening. And then, quite as suddenly as it started, it stopped. And so, then I had to figure out another way of escaping
0: well i had a similar experience i think when the clashes first album came out and i heard the song garage land you know we're a garage band we come from garage land i knew that i knew i knew i absolutely lived that because like i only want to stay in the garage all night that's what we would do except we would stay in robert's house
1: all night and- the same thing it's that first Clash album, yeah, and it was Jenny Jones for me, right? I was just that that beat got me.
0: Yeah, that was really you know it, it was like I suppose it would be like when you were a little kid and you built a clubhouse out in the woods. Our clubhouse was the Smiths, you know, remodeled uh, back room, and and we would just sit in there and play and plot. So. By the time we actually came to be able to play pubs, we'd had like three years in in the woodshed, you know, perfecting our, our stuff. So we knew kind of how to play by the time we got out. Not not well, but we knew enough to play the things that we wanted to play. Mm. And uh, the way we learned it was really by uh, a, a mixture of desperation and osmosis, you know. We knew we didn't want to stay in, in Crawley for the rest of our lives because, you know, most of the inhabitants of Crawley were were not really that friendly towards us and and we didn't really have anything in common with them. Mm. After a while, when I was a kid, I gravitated towards the sort of people that showed that that difference. That, you, know, they're, you know, the outsiders of the town, the geeks of the town, the people that, you know, other people would say, oh, they're okay, but they're weird, you know? If you were weird, you were on my list to be my friend. You know, that was, that was my criteria. Like, you know, if you're weird and not everybody likes you, I'm probably going to want to try and be your friend.
1: Uh, I, I like that, Lol. I, I, I used to I used I used to imitate the, the weirdos in town. If there was somebody walking down the street with long hair and they had a strange yeah. walk, yeah. I would adopt that walk. I would also yeah. try and get the long coat they were wearing as well or the strange luminous jacket. But I I I aped people I thought might be a clue. You know, so Right. It's my, the clue. Yeah. My my t- my ticket out I went after leaving school. I went to the local art college, which was a two year kind of stopover, you know, to learn some skills like photography and screen printing and things like this. Um, all the things that I never got to use once I got to the real art college because it, that was entirely different. But I did, it's my ticket out. Um, I didn't go very far. I just got on the uh, train to Liverpool. And then once I'd left home, I stayed in Liverpool. But the reason I chose Liverpool above other colleges I was applying to was because I saw a drum kit in the basement of the college and it mm-hmm. belonged to Timothy Whitaker and he was the drummer <laughs> with deaf school. Oh. And I thought I've got my eye on that drum seat. I I hadn't really played with the band, I had all that stuff with the cabaret thing finished, all yep. playing drums as anything. That had all really that dream had kind of dissipated. But when I got to Liverpool I'd started to meet people and what was really frustrating was other bands started in the college it was a band called Albert Dock who went mm. on to become yachts, who got a deal with radar. Yeah. Like, you know, the early uh, offshoot from stiff records really. Right. And um, everything was happening so quickly. And you, you really thought we're getting left behind straight away. <laughs> <It was> like <laughs> um, And Then the knock on the door, like, you play drums. I said, no, I don't. He said, yes, you do. You're playing drums with us. (laughs) I knew they were two guys locked on my door in Liverpool. And um, they thought they were going to be opening that night at Eric's Club in Liverpool for Susie and the Banshees. (laughs) We didn't get the gig. (laughs) Wow. But it was really Eric's Club in Liverpool was the key because that's when I met... Other kindred spirits who were kind of drifted into Matthew Street, drawn there by early gigs at Eric's. The Clash came down there, the Sex Pistols, uh, the Runaways, Blondie, Talking Heads, Devo. They were all there at Eric's. And uh, when they were not playing, when the gigs weren't on, that was our rehearsal space. So we started. And the thing I brought with me from the cabaret circuit was. I knew how to rehearse. I knew how to get in a room and I knew that we had to get something by the end of the day that sounded like a song we need to We need to be achieving something i didn't I didn't
0: know what I wanted to do so much as I knew what I didn't want to do, and that was really you know evident in the way that the cure approached the stuff at the very beginning. Because most bands, you know, they pick a song or an artist or music that they like and their first forays into writing their own music are copies of, of, you know, the artists they like or the songs they like. And we decided more than that, there was things that we didn't like, like, you know, very long guitar solos and very flamboyant drumming and things like that that we decided we don't like those things. So we... We kind of based ourselves around that. It was like a a very uh, extreme form of nihilism. You know, we were like, well, we don't believe in anything. So we're going to, this is the music of nothing. And once we started to connect ourselves to it with what we were doing, that's what made it more, more vital and more relevant. Once we started thinking about, well, what are the feelings we get from living in this place. You know, we were always aware that we were right next to this huge metropolis that where everything special going on was supposed to go on and we weren't part of it. And so we decided, well, if we're not invited to the party, we don't, we'll do not we make our own party because we don't care, you know? And that was probably the thing that saved us in a way because we didn't want to... Uh, for, we weren't chasing bandwagons because you're right at the time, uh, everything happened very, very fast, like from, you know, every week on The Melody Maker there was something different that had happened, something somebody different that had come up and you could end up chasing your own tail if you weren't careful, you know, like, oh, well, we have to sound like this to make an impression, to be able to get to here. And by the time you'd done that, that, that train had gone, that ship had sailed.
1: Curious Questions time
0: from various other curious creatures around the globe. Mm, yes, this is from Alistair Dickinson. Dixon, sorry, is that Dixon. Alistair with a D? Alistair with a D, yes. So is he's probably Scottish then, right? Yes.
1: Ah, I say I've met one Alastair with a D, Alistair, and, I thought, and was, I, I thought he was. I thought he was, I thought it was like you know, oh, he's he's just making an that affectation.
0: Up. An affectation. Exactly, of sort of, yes. Know. Yeah, there's no D no in Alistair. I think, it's a, I think it's a Scottish spelling. And you'll understand why I think that when I read the question. Okay. Um, dear Loll and Budgie, I'm curious to hear your respective memories of the Associates. What did you make of them as a live band, particularly Billy McKenzie's voice, and what were McKenzie and Rankin like to hang out with? I read in Tom Doyle's book, The Glamour Chase, that many people heard Billy McKenzie's voice on record and dismissed it as studio trickery. Warmest wishes to both of you. Alastair, Alastair Dixon, Walthamstow. So he's a long way from Scotland, but, you know. Mm. Well, um, when did you first meet
1: Mr. McKenzie? Um, well, I'm wondering, I, I don't have a, a memory of of really meeting Billy it's it's a strange thing. i don't I don't know if we did. Um, I felt very close to him because we we were occupying the same space for a lot of time. So the first awareness of um Billy and the associates would be when Mike Hedges was working on their first one, two or three right. albums.
0: Right. Right. It's Cause so you're all in the same studios together.
1: That's it. So, it was uh, Play, right. playground studios. Mike Hedges was looking up was, you know, it was his studio. He was the, the co-operator of it. Um, and when we walked in to do the first, either the creatures EP that, that weekend we went in to do the five track wild things EP, and around us were like these blackboards with titles, you know, um, glamour chase, whatever it might be. Um, um, and this was the Associates, right? You know, doing three albums back to back at the same time. <laughs> I'm sure we met, and I have no specific knowledge. You know, no, no kind of. Oh yes, I remember that night. I was out with Billy and. Whoever might be around. Um, but I must, I do have this sort of memory of, of, of his voice, not his singing voice, but his speaking voice. So it must be there. Perhaps you can jog that memory for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, Billy, Billy
0: was from, um, oh my goodness. Dundee. He was from Dundee. I was going to say, I thought it was Dundee. He was from Dundee. And um, I think the first time I met him was because, you know, he was on the same label as us Mm. on Fiction. And, um, you know, Michael, who had just left the cure after the first album, ended up playing with the Associates. And, uh, you know, so we would bump into them. And, And also we did a tour with the Associates. And I have a very nice memory are two very nice memories of that that tour of um, going boating at midnight in in Rome <laughs> with Billy, <laughs> and uh, which was,
1: of course, what else?
0: Yeah, which was kind of fun and uh, strange at the same time. and um you know we we liberated a couple of those little pedal boats from the beach. And uh, we went down into the sea and and just (laughs) peddled around in the moonlight, which it was pretty nice. Um, And then uh, the other memory is I I went out to a nightclub one night with him in Italy and um, I was dancing with a, a young lady and I had no idea how would I, the young lady's boyfriend was sitting in the side there and he came up and started remonstrating with me in Italian and and Billy just sort of got in between the pair of us and gave him that very Scottish look, and, <laughs> uh, and the guy. So basically, he he saved me, and uh, you know the guy backed off, and everything went back to normal. So um, these are the I, stories I,
1: I hear a lot of of Billy, where he could handle himself.
0: Oh, totally, totally. I mean, you know, it, it, I don't think it's any uh, great revelation if I tell you if it, when when if you got to see him like, as you would do in a dressing room without his shirt on um he'd been a few rounds let's put it that way he, he had you know he had the scars to prove it and um so yeah he was uh, but he was that that sort of combination of a of a great artist and also quite quite a, a tough character but i guess you had to be growing up in uh in dundee but uh i miss him i miss him to this day and uh I always thought it was great. And the voice, I can absolutely 100% tell you was all Billy because Mm. Billy came along to, uh, we were working in in Abbey Road with Mike Hedges at um, the Penthouse Studio at the top they just put in. And um, we were recording Bits of Faith. And uh, Billy came along, well, a couple of days, I think, and he was sitting at the back and he would listen to the songs as we were doing them and then he would sing his ideas his parts he thought like hey how about this and he'd just sing it from the back of the room and it, it's all him there's no studio trickery it's all billy did billy, uh, did billy was... sing on any of your songs um i don't think he sang well he didn't sing on faith that's for sure but no. um but uh I don't know. He may have done later on. I don't really, I don't really recall. I don't really recall. Um, yeah. Yeah. And my, my last memory of him really is they were getting ready for a big tour and they had Martha was playing keyboards from, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think she was Canadian and, um, they had like a big orchestra ready to go out on the road and everything. And then they didn't do the tour, which, you know, Billy had big ideas very big ideas and uh, you know he got to see some of them mm. reenacted
1: but uh, not all of them, I'm just yeah we've had so, many, a few talks and some quite recently about the being ready for the wind for the the door when it's when it's open the door of opportunity or the window right. of opportunity <clears throat> right and billy seemed to be more than Equipped, you know, ready to, yeah. for that opportunity, but 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 never seemed to fully embrace it. No,
0: that's right, that's right. I mean, he he had all the qualifications to go to the topmost of the topmost. You know, he could have done anything he liked, and um, unfortunately, I think you know some of it is is that that old uh, bugbear. Of of any artist, you know, fear and and you know, just sort of general.
1: I always heard that Billy didn't trust. He didn't trust the the, the business, right? So would want to see, you know, have the actual advance. Yes, yes, kept right. under the bed. That he loved no. his dogs, his whippets. Oh absolutely I, I can, I'll tell you a story about the whippets in a minute anyway carry on. and 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 I just like to you know the the, the, the I always remember the track with the yellow the rhythm divine yes um yeah. and 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 I, I don't know if did they do that with Shirley Bassey at some point did she join him for that and it was
0: I know he sang with Shirley Bassey at
1: some point yes for sure yeah because it was almost a song written for her you know to, to, to. yeah but it's just it's like from another world. I always thought this this mm. voice from another world. It seemed to be be that, but I loved Country Club with Michael's playing with that. everybody oh, yeah. everybody yeah. seemed to be firing in all six. Yeah, around, around those singles. Yeah, tell us absolutely. the story about the
0: Whippets. Come on. Oh, the Whippets. Well, you know. Uh fiction had an office in central London that also doubled as, as a place for, you know, various members of various bands to crash if they were in London. So, um, I was staying there at one point and Billy turned up with his, you know, I don't know what you would call them, a pack of flock of dogs or whatever, you know, like 20 whippets, you know, that he brought down from, (laughs) from, from, from from, uh, Scotland on the train, you know? So, and, um, we were sitting there talking and he was saying, you know, I've got to go out to this thing tonight and I don't think they'll let me bring the dogs. So, you know, would you, are you here tonight? And I said, well, yeah, I'm here. He said, do you like to, you know, keep an eye out for them? I went, yeah, sure. You know, I probably had a couple of drinks by that time. So I'd agree to anything. And, um, so I have this memory of me in, in little bedroom at the back of fiction. And I was like the, the den master you know that there was 20 of these whippets (laughs) around the bed on the bed and the tiniest one slept on top of my head Uh all (laughs) all night and they were they were very friendly and lovely and stuff but you know i i wasn't going to be able to go anywhere without them no very
1: very licky i imagine very
0: licky yes all night bloody long
1: you know and uh, what time did billy roll in
0: well, he didn't roll in that night. He rolled in the next morning, and and I, yeah, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I thank you. I I enjoyed it, but you know, I don't really want to
1: repeat that experience, Billy. Thank no, you. Yeah. No, no. Um, you had a lovely story. Uh, was it Billy who would, uh, when he was, if you like, bringing in the musicians, he would need to either fill the gaps and on the tour. Yes he had he had a way of checking out their credentials, how good they were, whether they fitted or not. Yes,
0: well, his his um, his yardstick for like you know if you were going to be in the Associates, and I, and I suspect a lot of uh, young musicians had wished they'd known this beforehand because they could have you know they could have got in quite mm-hmm. easily. Billy didn't care how you played. Billy didn't really care you know how tall or short you were, but if you were wearing the wrong shoes, according to Billy, you weren't going to play in the Associates. Yeah, if you had the right shoes, you were in. I think
1: so. I think it's, a, I think it's a quite an accurate yardstick.
0: Well, in general, I think it it tells people's personality. You know, I mean, one of the the first things I uh, I noticed when I I got to America is there's a, a lot of men walking around wearing suits. Not everybody, but a lot of men walking around wearing suits with very casual shoes underneath mm. them, like their you know gym shoes, and uh, that doesn't really go. You know, it's like. Brown boots with your black suit. You can't so wear it.
1: What Billy was looking for is attention to
0: detail. He was looking for attention to detail and that you were the whole package. So, you know, you might be a good piano player and the other guy's a good piano player. But if you had your attention to detail, you had a lariat tie and a nice pair of, you know, um, sort of um, cowboy boots or something polished with a little silver bit on the end. You probably got the job.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I know that's true because I I was on a, an edition of Nevermind the Buzzcocks, the uh, the comedy uh, kind, kind of celebrity pop quiz in, in Britain. Cool. Uh, and um, they have a section uh, where they have four people, like three are stooges and one is the actual person. Right. But it's a long time after and they're dressed differently. So they say it's like a, one of the guys would be in mud. Oh sweet, right. sweet, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and they're old, dra- and and you're thinking, and and I looked at their shoes, and what you know, three of them were wearing sandals, and I thought, yeah. there's no way the guy who was in sweet or mud or whoever was the right. pop, glam the glam pop star, and right. of course one of them had really nice shoes. I had no idea which face was correct, but I knew which shoes were right.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a very good benchmark. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, you know, if you, if you don't look like who you are all the way down, you're not really taking it seriously. Um, Robert used to have a, have a, have a theory that there were a lot of guys in bands that never got anywhere or, or he didn't like or whatever, that they, they only had a mirror that went down to their waist because mm-hmm. you know, below the waist and like on their shoes and that, they 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 just didn't bother to get dressed. You know, that's was his theory
1: about it all. Of course, yes, we never had a mirror <laughs> that way. Um, on the let's see, the creatures did a, a track, and Susie wrote a lyric for for Billy when she oh, heard yeah. when she heard that Billy passed. Yeah, um, it's called "Say," and um. It was interesting because we, I don't think she'd written anything so directly related to, a, a, a you know, an incident, a, a, a kind of right. a, a, an instant reaction to it, it, to another person that way. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, he's, um, you know, the music still stands the test of time. Uh, and, that, uh, yes,
1: yes. Well, i just like to say, I, I think Billy's, Billy, I hope, and I do believe, is, is with us in spirit. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely he, he's sorely missed and I wish he was
0: here to tell some of the stories himself because he was a bit of a raconteur himself a
1: raconteur Ateur, yes. what, a,
0: what a voice what yeah. a voice what a laugh what a wonderful oh, yeah. laughing voice yeah it's very funny Curious Creatures is created and presented by Bolt Holhurst and Budgie
1: producer Joe Wong
0: producer and audio designer Dan Didier Executive Producer Mark Cates Associate Producer Sophie Spare, Social Media Margie Taylor Art and Logo Design Justin Thomas K, Music Production Jack Knife Lee Curious Creatures is on the web and you can access us at
1: www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com I love saying www.. CuriousCreaturesPodcast.com And you can reach us on Instagram, Facebook <laughs> at Curious Creatures Official.
0: Twitter at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts visit DoubleElvis.com or follow at DoubleElvis on Instagram and at Double Elvis FM on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a
1: production of LXB LLC 2021.